This is an ABC podcast. The Bucket List. It's Saturday night and I'm standing outside a suburban Brisbane laundromat and I'm watching as a queue of people starts forming outside. But they're not here to do their washing. They're here to watch two women create electronic music using modified instruments of domestic labour. And it's a performance which also pays homage to one of the first female pioneers of electronic music. The year is 1959. The lady Campbell washer-dryer has the housewives of the world excited. Ecstatic. Meanwhile, our heroine, Daphne Aram, has just invented the Aramics machine arguably one of the world's first early synthesizers. People of the Morningside laundry map, stand by your washing machines, get ready to wash, dry, fold, and iron! We are the Iron Maidens, and we're here to iron out the wrinkles and the crinkly old matriarchy. Fluff your fabric, and fabulous your future. This is, in fact, a music factory where they can literally make music out of electronic sounds. And the woman who makes it has just been awarded a grant by the Gulbenkian Foundation to help her research. She's here at her control box, Miss Daphne Oram. Now, Miss Oram, how did you get involved in this kind of work? And it dates back really to 1944, I think, when I read a book which prophesied that composers in the future would compose directly into sound. I'm Patty. I am one ironer in the Ironing Maidens. Composers in the future would compose directly into sound. And I'm Melania, and I'm I'm the master ironer actually. Essentially, we've been in the industry for a while. We've been in electronic music for quite a while, and we've studied. And we all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, came across the work of Daphne Aram. And she was an amazing, you know, amazing woman who was such a pioneer. And we were just really surprised that we'd never heard of her, really. So we really wanted to make a homage to her work. But we, we sort of started looking around at what else was happening in the, in the 50s. And to us, a lot of what stood out was the idea that there was a lot of technology being sold to women. But it was really just technology about trying to get women back into the role of the housewife. You know, and there's like new dishwashers and whiz-bang new vacuum cleaners just designed to suck women literally back into the housewife role. So we kind of went from there and went, well, the 50s, you know, what, you know, it's just such a juxtaposition between the work Daphne was doing and the, you know, and the socialisation going on at the time. So then we looked at the irons and just went, well, the iron's so iconic. It just, it screams housework. Let's, let's go with that. Let's just focus on the irons and work out what we can do with them. Patty, if we talk about electronic music, who were the influences for you? Oh, growing up, um, I really listened to a lot of 90s hip-hop, so <laughs> I'm outing myself here. So TLC and, um, you know, Salt and Pepper, these were my real inspiration growing up. So I didn't discover the work of, you know, Daphne Aram or these, you know, other kind of iconic sort of female pioneers of electronic music till I was much older, so... 
But still a time, I mean, 90s hip-hop is still a time of sampling. When you listen back to that, I mean, there were samples that were used all the time in that kind of music that when you listen to it, you know exactly that that was the 90s. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I guess we've, um, you know, that's that's my musical route. So we've drawn a lot of inspiration for that from this show, um, using a lot of 1950s advertising samples. I'm not sure if they were used so much in the 90s, but um, I thought maybe we should insert them here in our music and make it a real, you know, sort of standout millennial piece, should we say. (laughs) Well, Patty, tell me about your very special irons and ironing boards and what went into creating, I don't know, like a sampling pad in an in an iron? Mm. Well, they, they do a couple of different things. We've retrofitted one iron with a square wave generator, so it has sort of pitch and volume control um, and it outputs, you know, like a, you know, yeah, square wave. So it's the basis of a synthesizer. Then I run that through Ableton Live and affect it. So it gets lots of delay, lots of reverb, a bit of filtering, you know. And then the other irons I have, again, pulled apart and placed inside MIDI controllers, essentially. So um, there's sample pads, there's um, encoders or, you know, knobs that you would see on a normal mixing desk. Um, Then we also have strip sensors. So when you hit the ironing board, you can trigger a sample. So, um, for example, I use snare and kick sort of sounds, more percussive-based sounds because it's very visual for the for the audience you know they can when I hit the board they can see me hitting it and they can hear a sound happening so because often a lot of the time people don't really know what the hell you're doing (laughs) (laughs) we could just be miming and you know they wouldn't really know so yeah so we we try to make a little bit of um, you know that that visual feedback as well. So what went in getting the steam sound for instance coming through the ironing board I mean how hard was it to record that sound when you knew that you wanted that? That was a very complicated process we had to go into the studio record the iron making the steam sound and I had to put that back into the software and then create a um, you know a trigger for that sample to be launched by an iron on the ironing board so (laughs) it's a very ironic sort of sound Melania, how do you and Patty work together in terms of the creation of the music, but also, you know, the lyrics and the message that you were trying to get across in this performance? Yeah, I think it's been a it's been a process. Like we've been putting these these things together for a few years now, and I think that it's a combination of those sort of incidences like finding Daphne's work and 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 those sort of things that that kind of trigger the the content for the song but then also things that happen in our own life as musicians as women out there in the industry and sometimes when really annoying things happen like you know uh, can you just get the sound guy to come and sort this out things like that happening you know it really makes you want to write a song and just (laughs) do something about it you know so it's been it's a very kind of true to our own life experience process for the writing of the lyrics and the and the content have you had that as well patty i mean similar experiences to millennia whether that's you know your own musicianship or whether that is your role within your family oh absolutely look um i'm, I'm a sound engineer so often i get that where's the sound guy like i am the sound guy 
you know, some, you know, I'm often looked over or um, not taken seriously um, in a lot of the work that I do. So I find it's, you know, it's very challenging to kind of push through those gender stereotypes and push through the gender barriers. And I'm also an educator, so I, I find it really important in my classroom to, you know, to create a balance for my students you know we brought two of my students along on tour with us this time you know um, they're having a great time so we're really trying to equal out that the gender balance in the audio industry yeah millennia uh, you know what is for you the message that you hope that the audience walks away after viewing your work I mean, we're always struggling with that balance of how to put across a message but leave it enough room for the audience to actually figure it out themselves because that's the best process of learning, you know. So we do try and really work that fine line between, you know, getting our point across and not overstating it so that people can feel like they're discovering it for themselves and just thinking, oh, yeah, actually... It is a bit unfair, really, you know. I mean, the last census showed that women in Australia are doing five to 15 hours a week of housework and men are doing less than five hours a week. And it's just, it's a disproportionate load, you know, and it's just not on. It's 2018. If if we don't start changing things at home, in the domestic sphere, in the household, if young kids don't start seeing those gender roles being played out more evenly in their own home, then they just don't have a, much of a chance to really, you know, make positive career choices and feel confident enough to, to decide to go into fields that are not necessarily supportive of them. So, and that goes both ways, you know, for young guys as well to be able to work in those more caring roles and just to blitz that gender construct and make it a bit more of an even, you know, world for everyone. When you were working on this show, I mean, did it make you think about just how much housework you do in your own home? I mean, was that a large part of, you know, the research basis for what you were doing here? Well, say, for instance, definitely things like, you know, I remember being a young child and when I was out on my BMX, burning it up with the boys, and yet 4.30, 5 o'clock comes, and who's the one that gets called in off their BMX to come and peel the potatoes? And I think, you know, at that young age, I just knew that was wrong. I just went no come on like so I think for me that's a really strong kind of burning with my trying to get this message across is it's just not fair for the kids really either so Paddy when you're out on tour as well you also sometimes do workshops um, particularly with young women and teaching them about electronic music and taking them through the process of everything that you both know what do you get out of that you know having those workshops and seeing young women introduced to something that they might not have ever considered before mm. uh, look I just I just love having you know women in the classroom and you know being all over the tech and feeling confident and like there's no barriers to you know getting amongst it and and just seeing, you know, them evolve and they're, you know, they go, oh, I can do this, I can do this and it sounds good and I can do this, you know. So I guess it's that for me it's um, seeing the next generation of women, you know, feeling confident, feeling inspired, feeling like they can do it. Millennia, we're obviously having a conversation about domestic chores as part of this. You know, is that a conversation that needs to happen more in the community and you're hoping by people seeing this performance that it also sparks people not going, wow, that was great music, but gee, yeah, maybe I need to do the washing sometimes or maybe I need to load that dishwasher and turn it on. Yeah, I definitely think it does need to be a conversation that we're having in homes, in schools as well, you know, and... Share the load. 
Share the load. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, you know, I think Australia thinks it's fairly gender neutral and I think you speak to the, you know, average person, they're like, oh yeah, but my hubby does the dishes and stuff. And that's really cool and really fair enough. It's just who's the one who actually organizes to go and buy the dishwashing liquid. It's also, a, it's not about just doing the chores, it's about the emotional responsibility of taking on the job because it's a huge job. It's a massive job running a household. And I think, yeah, I think the conversation needs to be happening. I know in my household, it's my husband that buys the dishwashing liquid <laughs> and also does the washing up. <laughs> I feel like sharing the load is like my bit. You need to just pick the load, yeah. What's the feedback been from audiences that have seen your work? You know, you've been to particularly regional New South Wales was one of the tours where you did the laundromats as well. Yeah, look, I think the response has really been positive. We haven't had, you know, too many dramas or no altercations, nothing. Everyone's sort of gone, oh, oh this is interesting and all. Oh, you're very clever and all. Oh, you're pretty funny, you know. <laughs> Which, you know, that's the other aspect of the show. I guess we, you know, going into regional areas, going into, you know, where our friends are not. I think it's always important to wrap these messages in humour, which is what we we try and do. We, you know, we go on a little bit of a journey with the audience, so it gets a bit dark, a bit deep, but we also try and make it, you know, very funny as well. So I think that that really helps the audience, you know, take on the message and and be able to connect with us. And we've been at discos late at night with the audience members, we, you know. <laughs> yep, <laughs> they've taken us down to their local haunts. So you know, I think on a whole, it's been a very positive response. Yeah. Melania, speaking of, you know, being funny and that's part of the way that you get your messages across with the music in your performance, did you realise how funny you were? Am I funny? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your comments seem so off the cuff and just little things that you add in that obviously go back to something to do with ironing or something to do with housework. But did you know that you had this comedic element? Oh, look, I... I've been hoping I was funny, but you never know. I mean, when we first started this show, we did it a few times in Australia. And, you know, of course, all of our friends and family were like, that's great. You're really funny. But we ended up taking it overseas for a while, you know, and, and toured it in Berlin for a while just to test, is it actually? Because, you know, just does it stand up on its own? I mean, I don't know if the Germans thought we were that funny, but they liked the music. <laughs> But some might say, like, this is a perfect performance piece to take to a place like Germany. Mm. Berlin's kind of up for anything, really. Yeah, we found, we actually performed at the Berlin Performance Art Festival a couple of years ago, and we realised that even though we think we're really out on the edge and quite kooky and fringy, we are totally not when it comes to <laughs> that world. So what have the other highlights been in doing a show like this? I think mostly, like, the thing we do really love is that because it's in the laundromat and everyone's sort of, you know, in there, at the end of the show, we get to have this really great interaction with the audience. People come up and play the instruments and chat and work out how have we done it. And then we get to talk to them and people like getting to talk about the concepts and letting us know what they think about it. And that's been, you know, just something we didn't weren't prepared for, how amazing that feedback was and how that conversation was happening. And it made us feel like, okay, maybe it's working. If they're wanting to talk about it after the show, then maybe it is good. Maybe it is working because it's great. So whose idea was it to think of laundromats? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I, we, I was sitting opposite. I was sitting in the car one night opposite a laundromat, and I was looking at it, and it just looked so beautiful. The lights and the dryers all going round, and I was I had this moment of going, "Yep, I think we should do laundromats." And it was a big dream for a while. We talked about it. I think I banged on about it to everyone I knew. I'm going to do a laundromat tour for almost a year before we we finally pulled it 
pulled it all together logistically. And Patty, were you just the one going, at what point is this going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, okay, good, yep, all right, I'll get some extension leads and I'll get some lights, okay, yep, good. <laughs> so Patty, how do you say that both you and Melania work? How is that creative relationship for you? Oh, look, um, I feel like Melania is very much the, the risk taker in our collaborative partnership. Um, you know, she has the wild out there ideas and I'm like going, oh, God, okay, yep, all right, yep, I, can, yep, I think I can do that. Yep, so we work it out. So I think our combination of, um, you know, her risk taking and thinking right outside the box and then I bring a bit more practicality into the, um, you know, the partnership to kind of make things happen. Not that, you know, you're not practical, but, you know... <laughs> for being generalising. Yeah, we're generalising about it. It's definitely, Patty is, you know, I mean, I was cutting together some footage of a 1950s woman banging an iron on the ironing board to a bit, and I did say to Patty, do you reckon we could do that? You know, do you reckon we could work out a way to bang an iron on an ironing board and that make the beats for our set? Patty went, oh, I don't know, I'll have a think. Went off, learned how to do it, you know, actually took time and figured out how to make these, you know, amazing instruments. And so it's a great... You know, it's a great balance having the technical and the madness. Now, if she had been a man, you see, they're not naturally familiar with mechanical principles nor machines. Why, even the language applying to uh, common processes and tools are new to them. Who are these women? Where did they come from? Melania, what's next for the Ironing Maidens? We really, really want to do a whole album. So when we get back, we really want to work on a whole album. I mean, I have this really big dream that I'd really love to have, like, this whole kitchen wired up. So, and we have, we have been talking about, you know, doing some, like, like a modular rig with the irons as well. So there's just always more experimentation to do. And that's the fun thing about a project like this. It just, it's, you can just keep taking it in lots of different directions. And Paddy, while watching this, I felt like you were the next lot of pioneers in a way that although you might have started with the idea of paying homage to those women in early electronica, that this could possibly be the next step of basically, um, like Daphne, building your own machines in this way and creating your own music from those machines and the experimentation of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. There's, I don't, you know, there's nothing really much else like this in laundromats, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of people experimenting with, you know, um, different triggers and sensors, and I feel that we've kind of com created a, you know, a bit of a package in a show and a, trying to start, I guess, a movement um, and trying to, you know, get our message out there and get the word out there. And um, I, I guess when I think back to Daphne, it's like it blows my mind that there were no synthesizers in the world and this woman built one. You know, and that really, for me, that is groundbreaking. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, gives me goose, goosebumps. Like, how do you just imagine that you can make synthesized sounds when there have never been any before? So I guess compared to that, I think we've, we've really benefited from all that work these women have done. And then hopefully what we do then takes it on to the next generation. And I think as well, we've tried to keep true to the irons. Like, we've tried to keep it true to actually pulling apart real irons and really using those real-life resources. And I just wonder, I guess, for, for someone in the 50s, what they would think of us here now in 2018. Would they think we would, we'd done that much, you know, <laughs> whether we, they think we're as futuristic as they imagined? I don't think so. We don't have rocket blasters or 
but maybe that might take another 50 years. Mm. Like, I mean, that's the sad part of that, isn't mm. it? That it took, um, for people like Daphne Oram um, and also Delia Derbyshire, it took a long time for people to even recognise mm. their work in the radiophonics workshop. Mm. Exactly. So then, you know, it's, it's like then, well, what can we do about that now? And what we can do about that is just being able to look around us at all the other amazing, you know, female producers and engineers and DJs and just women working in any industry, really, and give them the cred they deserve for the work they're doing now while they are alive. We don't want to be dead and then get accolades. It's, <laughs> it's a bit boring. <laughs> Well, I feel like your website is also, if you didn't know about Daphne or you didn't know about Delia or if you didn't know about the other women in that group of pioneering electronical women, that your website gives you that. I mean, is that also the online component of that is recognising the history and putting this history somewhere so people can see all of these names together of all of these women that have done special things in their own fields? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all, it's, it started out just as a, our own project of just wanting to, you know, just start, you know, um, sharing just a little snapshot of just to show that there was heaps of women because, you know, all the time, you, you know, when you're studying, you know, in contemporary MP courses, it's like, oh, well, who invented the synthesizer? Well, I don't know. It must have been Moog, I guess, you know, and that's who gets remembered for it and probably, you know, in a context, rightly so, but in another context, you know, if they had have actually listened to Daphne and given her the patent that she'd asked for.